Welcome to the Feminine Empowerment Project podcast. I am Pastor Tandy, and I'm really excited to be with you today. Before we get started, I want to mention that if you enjoy this podcast, please consider clicking the donation button and contributing to help me continue to make this amazing content. So today we're going to be talking about a really important topic that is very close to my heart, and that is the true role of women in Christianity. And most Christians have a fundamental belief that women play a very minimal role in religious history. We have been led to believe that women never had any leadership roles and were simply considered to be under the authority of men. And early in his writings, Paul authored Galatians, a book primarily dedicated to explaining to Jewish Christians that their uncircumcised Gentile brothers were not second-class members of the church. And I think you can see where this is going to go eventually. But Paul directly refutes this concept of hierarchy in, in the Christian community in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I think that this is really important. And what we're going to be pulling out of this today, though, is that there is, nor is there male and female, because this is where Christianity has really gone off the rails. Um, interpretations of the Bible have been weaponized against women for thousands of years, and it's time that we stop doing this. And unfortunately, these scriptures have been taken out of context, taken out of their first century Jewish culture and our own English American um, culture has kind of been stamped on top of it and then saying, hey, men are in charge, shut up. And it, we, we've got to go back and kind of unravel all of this. And that's partially what we're going to do today. But I want to also tell you that if I were to go over every single verse in the Bible that men have used to weaponize against women, we could be here for days explaining how this has been taken wildly out of context and was not what was originally meant. Um, we could go over the original Greek words and all of that, but it would take us forever. And I, I promise I will continue to create podcasts on this topic until I feel like we have covered it well enough. And this, so this is just the first podcast. And for time's sake, I'm not going to be able to address all of it, but just know that the subjugation of women, the demand for women's submission, all of that kind of stuff is absolutely unequivocally not what was meant. So I know that most Christians state emphatically that they believe the Bible to be the word of God. And I agree with this statement. But, and this is a big but, the Bible was interpreted and translated into English by men throughout history. And in modern times, women scholars have found that these men have actually infiltrated their interpretations of Bible passages with their own male-dominant biases that were not originally there and are not actually supported by the cultural context and the language. And this is extremely important because as more women have become biblical scholars fluent in Hebrew and Greek, which are the common biblical languages, they have found that the original cultural context has been completely ignored. And therefore, the original intention, especially in Paul's letters, 
has been distorted by pastors, preachers, and church leaders throughout history, and it has been weaponized against women. It becomes very obvious that the statements against women in some of these letters attributed to Paul have been taken wildly out of context. And their original intent for those individual first century churches have been blanketed for all women throughout all time, which was never the intent. Uh, Paul was addressing specific issues that specific churches were having. And we don't have these issues in our time. doesn't mean, I'm not saying this isn't scripture, I'm not whatever, but what I'm saying is, is it's been weaponized against women instead of being used as something to understand various issues that can crop up in a church as what it should have been. So you're going to start to notice many of these letters attributed to Paul. And the reason I say attributed to Paul is because there is still some argument as to whether they were all written by Paul, but I'm not going to get into that today. They all have a common theme and attitude towards women that we don't actually see playing out in first century Christianity because women were a part of leadership roles in the church. We have Unia, we have Phoebe, we have Priscilla, we have all kinds of women that were holding apostles and, and deacons, elders in the church. And so it, you're seeing, well, we've got female deacons, we've got Phoebe, who's taking the letter to the Romans and um, reading that letter to them. And Paul is saying, listen to her and do what she's asking you to do in Romans 16. And yet we're saying that women can't have leadership roles in the church. It doesn't fit. And the reason it doesn't fit and the reason that there's a contradiction is not because there's something wrong with the Bible. It's because men have taken these letters out of context to further their own male-dominant agendas. And it's pride. It, it is male pride. That's all it is. And I know men get their panties all in a wad when we talk about women having leadership roles and they get all upset. They don't want to let go of their pride. That's all it is. It just boils down to pride. So according to Beth Allison Barr in The Making of Biblical Womanhood, which is an amazing book, I would highly recommend it to um, all of my listeners, because it will help you understand what we're talking about today better so that you stop weaponizing the Bible against other women as well. And she says, quote, by allowing a woman to anoint him with oil in an ordinance for death, Jesus overturns male headship, allowing a woman to do what only men had been able to do until that moment, anoint the king. So I want to just point out here, and this is something I point out all the time. This is not the only time that Jesus allows a woman to take a, a very uh, like leadership type role um, or a role that typically would only be held by a man, by a man, but an anointing him for death and also anointing a king was a very, very high station. Uh, reserved only for men. We also have, I'm just going to insert here in the story of Mary and Martha, the, what most people don't understand because we don't get the cultural context when we read the Bible is someone sitting at the feet of a rabbi in first century um, Judaism 
would have been reserved for a man who was learning from that rabbi, learning to become a rabbi, learning from that rabbi. A woman would never be allowed to do that. But here in the story of Mary and Martha, what do we have? Jesus, who they often called rabbi, and Mary sitting at his feet, learning from him. This is an exact position of a rabbi and a man that he would be teaching. And Martha, we, are, we, we always think, we, we take this and we try to put this into our American culture, right? When Martha's like, get in here and start cleaning and cooking and doing the womanly roles with me. That's what she's saying. But Jesus says, hey, no, she's doing, she is doing good. This is okay for her to sit here. What you don't understand is Martha isn't just wanting Mary to be busy with her. There is also an aspect that a woman shouldn't be in that position with a rabbi or a church leader or whatever. And Jesus is saying, no, this is fine for her to be in this position that is usually reserved for a man. And so when we see the example of Jesus, we are seeing women being elevated in very, very equal ways to men. And so to me, I say, guess what? I'm taking Jesus's authority. That's, I am. I will believe how Jesus treated women over anyone else. Now, am I saying that Bible is wrong? Nope. Am I saying that Paul was wrong? Nope. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, if the way you are interpreting the Bible goes against what Jesus did and what Jesus said, something is wrong with your interpretation. That's what's going wrong. It isn't that the Bible's wrong. You are wrong. This is not... Jesus was constantly overturning hierarchies all the time. And... If we are trying to create hierarchies, we might need to turn and take a little bit of a look at ourselves and what we're doing. So I'm going to make an, another point here that, that Beth Allison Barr makes in her book, The Making of Biblical Womanhood. And she states, Pope John Paul II's stance in his 1988 apostolic letter serves as a good case in point. He suggests that using Paul's writings in Ephesians 5 to justify male headship and female subordination in marriage would be the equivalent of using those passages to justify slavery. Here we go again. The Bible used to be used to justify slavery. Let that sink in for a minute. Horrible. The Bible has been weaponized against people of color. It has been weaponized against women. It still today is being weaponized against women and other women are weaponizing it against women. And if we are using the Bible to subjugate people and put people in subordination, we know we're using it wrong. It is critically important to understand the social context in which these letters were written even if most of them contain this language saying women submit to their husbands idea this this was not what paul was saying these household codes actually reflect the gender hierarchy that was seen in roman culture 
These ideas were not founded based on some revelation from God. They are not God's way, as men try to say. They were patriarchal constructs from Roman culture at that time. This is the way that women were living. Male guardianship, in fact, was Roman law at the time of these writings. Okay? So I want you to understand what's coming from God and what is not. Paul, actually, as we go through this, you're going to see, he turns male headship upside down. You just don't see it because you've been told to see it a certain way. So in Roman culture, wives had to legally submit to the authority of their husbands. Roman law, Roman culture. Women were not allowed to own property in general, uh, not allowed to run a business. They could not engage in legal or financial transactions. They were not allowed to speak in public. Okay, this is where we're going to kind of run into some issues in Paul's letters. And th this idea of silence and all of that kind of stuff is bunk. And we'll get into what th why that is. But that was Roman law. And unmarried women had to cover their heads in public. And that's another aspect where we... We will see in the Bible where it's told women having head coverings. We talk about that. Paul is turning all of this upside down. And we're going to go into how that is and why. These concepts were not some biblical standard that, that Paul was, uh, this is the biblical standard. This is what God wants women to be under this authority. They were just the reality of life for first century women under Roman rule. And I want you to remember this was Roman law, not God's law. So if we read these passages, as first century Christians would have read them, we see that Paul was actually trying to overthrow Roman patriarchy in the Christian church. He wanted them to live the Christian life, not the Roman law life. But they were living in that Roman culture. And so we're going to look at Colossians Chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Paul represents, first, the Roman patriarchal law, which is wives be subject to your husbands, right? So, here is the, here is the issue here. When, in Roman law, when a wife was subject to her husband, husbands married young women, um, and they were not faithful they were quite abusive. Uh, the wife's role was really just to manage his household and manage things. He would gallivant around and whatever, and it just was not, it's not marriage is what you think of today, okay? Um, men were abusive. They were very harsh uh, to their wife. They were never faithful. It was just, she really honestly was just kind of like a maid and a housekeeper, um, and under Roman, Roman culture, she was subject to her husband. So here we have Paul saying this. And you think, okay, you know, your husband is your Lord, as they used to say. Um, but then he offers the Christian way as a better way. When he says, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. So what we have is he's asking, this is not creating some biblical authority of men. In fact, it's doing the exact opposite. Paul is asking the women to act in a humble manner towards their husbands. Yes, he is. But 
Men love to ignore the second part. No, you just listen to me. You be subject to me. No. Paul is actually calling for a mutual submission, a mutual respect, a mutual, mutual relationship. Because as I told you, in Roman culture, husbands were harsh. They were mean. Um, he's saying, no, husbands are submitting themselves to act in a humble manner towards their wife, loving her and never treating her harshly. And this is not the only time that we see this. In fact, the language gets even stronger in, in other letters that Paul wrote in mutual submission and mutual respect. But here we have Paul saying, yeah, Roman patriarchal law says wives be subject to your husbands. I'm telling you, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. He is actually calling the husbands to a higher law than just treating their wife like some subject of theirs. Okay. There are other scriptures that go on to clarify this as mutual submission of the husband and wife. And I know a lot of men are getting hot and under the collar right now. Don't be telling my wife that I'm not in charge of her, right? But here's the thing. Mutual submission means he has to love his wife as his own body. That's a pretty strong statement. Okay? But then let's go on to the other one. He is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Christ did not come in power and authority and glory and all of that kind of stuff. No. Christ was washing the feet of his disciples. Christ came to sacrifice himself for the church. This is a mutual submission, people. If Christ is sacrificing himself, men are to put themselves in a position of sacrificing himself for his wife. That is, I know you're not going to like me to say it, that is a form of submission. Because you are submitting yourself, you are sacrificing for your wife. This is not a position of authority. It is not. It was never meant to be. Now, Paul is speaking to these first century Christians because they are living in Roman law women submitting to their husbands. But he's saying, uh-uh, it doesn't just go one way. The husband is to do the same. And he, he is giving other language to the husband in ways that they would understand, right? He's saying, yeah, wife, submit to your husband. Be humble towards him. However, husband, love your wife as your own body and love your wife as Christ loved the church. Sacrifice yourself. That is not a high and lofty position where you are um, barking out orders and telling her what to do. Okay? Let's move on to Ephesians chapter 5. Here again we have another passage where Paul is calling on the men to reject the oppressive Roman culture and live the Christian way of life. And a lot of people, what men try to do is they try to pull a verse out and say, see, and they weaponize it against you. See, you have to submit to me. You have to, you know, I'm in charge of you. I have authority over you. They love the pride, 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 pride. That's all I'm hearing. I can't even hear the words you're saying because 
your pride is just oozing out everywhere. That's all I can say. But we start out this Ephesians chapter 5. We start this out in uh, verse 21. And what does it say? You're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oh, what? What? It doesn't say women submit to men. It doesn't say wives submit to husbands. This has nothing to do with that. It says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In this scenario, he is making it crystal clear. All men, all women, all children submit themselves to one another out of respect or reverence for Christ. This is in total opposition to the Roman way of life that they are living under right now. He is telling them to submit to one another out of reverence. Oh, the men kind of forget this one. They get really forgetful when their pride is just oozing out of them everywhere. Uh, they aren't gonna, I ain't going to submit to anyone. You submit to me, right? Mm-mm. He starts out telling everybody to submit to each other first. That's important because that's the first thing he says. Okay, men, listen up. I'm telling y'all to submit to each other. Then we go to the wives, be subject to your husbands or submit to your husbands. And this, again, is the example of the Roman way of life that Paul is admonishing them to actually leave behind. Because what did he say first? No, submit to one another. Then he talks to the wives. And then we move on to husbands. Mutual. So we're saying submit to one another. Wives, you're submitting to your husband. Now we're moving to the husbands. Submit to your wives. How can I say that this is mutual submission? Because the first thing he said was submit to one another. Duh. Did we forget that? So we always look at the wives. Yep, yep, yep. Submit to your husband. I'm in charge of you. Power, authority, pride. No. You're taking this. You're trying to take one verse out, one sentence out, and then you're trying to beat a woman over the head with it. Stop. This is not what this is. This is mutual submission. You are to submit to one another. Women, yes. Wives, submit to your husbands. Then the male submission. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is a strong statement, people. That is a very strong statement. This is mutual submission. Why is it mutual submission? Giving yourself up for her? This is not a power play here. This is not, I'm in charge of you, you submit to me. This is a mutual submission. He is calling on the men to give themselves up for their wife. Husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. Each of you should love his wife as himself. This is not a power play. Don't just take the one little sentence out and go around weaponizing it and beating everybody over the head with it. You are to give yourself up. Sacrifice yourself for your wife. That is what is here. This is a mutual submission. We see Paul clearly flipping this subjectification of women on its head. He is telling the men that they should also submit themselves to love their wife, to give themselves up for their wife, to love her as he loves himself. This is in direct contradiction 
to what the Roman culture was at the time. And it is a direct contradiction of how you would treat someone that you saw as your subordinate. You're going to sacrifice yourself for someone that's your subordinate? That you have authority over? No, you don't. That's not how power works. And if you listen to the Eve episode, you'll learn how God set up the equality of men and women from the very beginning. And that patriarchy was actually a result of the fall. And we talk about that in the, the first episode on Eve. We talk about how God set up equality and then he warns Eve, now that you have fallen, he's going to try to have authority over you. And as we go through the scriptures, you'll see very clearly how God was warning Eve that this is going to be a result of the fall. Patriarchy is actually a result of sin. It is not God's will. So lastly, he does ask women to respect their husbands. And men often use this phrase as an excuse to require sub submissive obedience from their wife. But the thing is, they are unrighteously claiming authority over their wife. And that is not what was meant here. If you take all of these verses together, there is a mutual submission and a mutual respect and a mutual love that is being called for here. You don't think that um, it's calling men to respect their wife if they are to love her as their own body, take care of your body, respect your body, respect your body as you would respect yourself, give yourself up for her. There is clearly a mutual respect here. And men just try, oh, well, that word wasn't used, so I don't have to do it. That's not what it is. There's no hierarchy here. Christ never set up hierarchies. It did not happen. It's not like the apostles were going around and, and gaining wealth and power as they went. What did, what did the apostles do? Christ said, take neither purse nor script. He, they went out and they served and they healed people and they blessed people and they taught people they were servants. We are not to exert power and authority over anyone. That is the example of Christ. And if the way that you read the scriptures gives you power and authority over someone, you are reading the scriptures wrong. <laughs> so now we're going to move on to Ephesians um, Let's see, we just talked about subjecting yourself to one another in the respect of Christ. And it does say, some of them say in fear of Christ. Um, I don't actually like that interpretation of that original word. And the reason that I don't is because I don't think that we're supposed to be afraid of Christ. It's, it's out of respect, right? So um, what, do we t what do we do with the man being the head of the wife? And this is an interesting thing as well, because in our American culture, remember, we got where we constantly are taking scriptures out of their cultural context. In American culture, when, when I say he's the head of the department, what does that mean? He's in charge. He's in charge. He's the authority figure, right? That's how we see this. And so this is how we interpret it. Oh, it means the man's in charge. You have to do what he says. He's your head. No, that's not what it means. There, the original Greek word, and back in Genesis, obviously it was not the Greek word. The Greek word. It was a Hebrew word. 
there was a lot more cultural meaning to this word than what we put on it. We take our culture as what head means. Oh, it means you're in charge. And in reality, if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, it actually was more of being a source. God was the source of everything for Adam and Eve, providing their sustenance, the, providing everything. And um, Eve actually has claim on her husband to be her source. This has nothing to do with creating a hierarchy or an authority figure. Um, and what, what is happening with, in Greece and Rome, women were nearly invisible in society in a lot of ways. And this subjugation or subjection of women has been highlighted in Christianity because male church leaders have the same worldview. Men are always in charge. They just, this, this pride that they cannot. And of course, as a result of the fall, what happens? Pride, sin. That's what we're getting. Hierarchies and I have authority over you and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's, it's a result of the fall. Um, in Greco-Roman culture, I don't know if you knew this, but female bodies were considered to be deformed men. Um, Aristotle claimed that congenitally the female is, as it were, an anomalous male. Thomas Aquinas, most Christians know who this is, um, also says that it can be argued that woman should not have formed part of the world as it was initially created. For Aristotle says that a female is an occasioned male. And when he says occasioned, he essentially means a deformed male. It would be wrong for something occasioned or deformed or deficient to be part of the initial creation. Therefore, woman should not have been part of that world. This is what we are looking at here. Okay? This is what early Christian church leaders believed in. When we're talking 400 A.D., 500 A.D., and on, this is, these were the views that they had. And it's no wonder that Christian theology that came out of these beliefs believes that women were less than and needed to be submissive and quiet and under the authority of men. It's not true. It is not God's way. This is man's way. Man's way of pride is putting himself above other people. This fascination in modern Christianity with the Roman subjectification of women is anti-Christian, as you could possibly get. Um, this would be the same as if we're, we were reading in the Bible and Paul's making a comment about how Romans or Aristotle believed women's bodies were deformed men. And he makes a comment about that in the Bible, and then all of a sudden we decide to say, oh, that was the word of God. God said you're deformed men. Just because Paul made a comment about something that was going on in the world around him does not mean God condoned that. If you want to go through the Bible, we can find all kinds of examples of people doing and believing all kinds of things that were not of God. If you want to go back to the Old Testament, there are all kinds of stories of rape 
and horrible things that happened that I don't think any of you would say were condoned by God when you read that the Bible. Just because rape is in there doesn't mean God's like, yeah, that's totally fine. That's cool. No. We have to make sure we're being very careful about how we're interpreting things so that we are not unwittingly subjugating others and using it to inflate our own ego and pride. So we're going to move on. Paul refers to Phoebe, Phoebe as a deacon. Okay, so, so let me, let's talk about this for a minute. The word diakonos is, and I may not be pronouncing it correctly, but in Greek, this is the word that was used. Here's the thing. Very, very interesting that people that say that the Bible wasn't, was translated correctly. For the most part, yes. But here's an odd thing. If, if they were ever talking about a man, and they use the word diakonos in the original text, it is translated as deacon every single time. Paul used that exact same word for Phoebe. The word is diakonos. Every man ever mentioned in the whole thing as a diakonos, it is translated as a deacon. You want to pull your Bible out and see what it calls Phoebe? It calls her a servant. Why is that exact same word translated differently when it's referring to a woman than when it's referring to a man? How do you know? How do you know Paul didn't mean she was a deacon? He did. The word diakonos. She was a deacon. She was a church leader. And how do we know she was a church leader? Well, keep on reading. Paul admonishes the Romans to listen to her and do as she asked them to do. In Romans chapter 16, check it out. Paul is confirming her authority. She's not a servant. She's a deacon. She is bringing Paul's letter to the Roman Christians to read to them. And he asks them to do what she tells them. This is in direct contradiction of modern Christian belief that women should not hold leadership roles. How do you fix that contradiction? Paul said women are supposed to be silent in the church and subject to men and he doesn't allow them to teach and then Phoebe's taking their letter to the Romans and reading it and they're supposed to listen to her and do what she says. That, does, that doesn't jive. Why? Because you're reading it wrong. <laughs> you are taking... Paul's letters out of their cultural context and making a mess. He also introduces us to another uh, female leader in the church, Unia, who is called chief among the apostles. She was an apostle. Paul or a deacon, but that's not the word that was used. Paul clearly did not hold these chauvinistic views of women that men in Christianity today claim he does. He did. Women were absolutely in leadership roles. And these two are not the only two. In fact, when we look at Priscilla and Aquila in the scriptures, here's an interesting thing. The husband's name was always put first. Because what are we talking about in Roman culture? The man is in charge, right? Go to your Bible and read about Priscilla and Aquila and tell me whose name comes first. Hers. Why? There's a lot of indications here 
in the Bible that is telling you that women are of value. They are equal in every sense of the word, including leadership roles. They were absolutely in leadership roles in the early Christian church. When modern Christians use Roman patriarchy in the Bible as an excuse to exercise it themselves, they are not, in fact, living the Christian life, and they are, setting them, they are not setting themselves apart from the world. They're just being a part of the world. They're just being a part of hierarchies, patriarchy, and pride. That's what they're doing. The Bible actually admonishes men to abandon worldly pride and misogyny. Love your wife as yourself. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Be willing to sacrifice your life for her. These were the true Christian principles that were revolutionary in their time. Male headship and patriarchy were simply the way of the world in Roman culture, not the way of God. If we are to truly separate ourselves from the world, separating ourselves also includes a separation from male domination and control. Male domination is rooted in pride, misogyny, inflated male ego, and has no place in a Christian heart, life, or home. Okay, so let's run into another excuse for patriarchy. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 through 36. So he says, as in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in the churches. Okay, hold up. We're going to stop right here. Here's the problem. This word, this Greek word for silent, did you know that that word has been used for men several times in, in Paul's letters in the New Testament? But guess what? When they use that word for men, they don't say silent. How is it that we translate words differently when we use them for women than we do for men? That's not how it works. But this is what they've done. This same word that Greek word that was used here to say silent, guess what it means a little earlier on when it's talking about men? Settle down. Settle down. That's what it meant. That's how they interpret it with men. But here, we're telling the women to be silent. Hmm. Okay, but here's the thing. This is the justification that one of the times they're justifying saying women can't be preachers, pastors, or teach in Christian churches. Is this what this meant? No. Okay, you read this and you're like, yeah, women should be silent in the church. You can't teach. You can't do anything. Well, let's look at, let's unpack this a little bit. First thing we talked about Roman law requiring women not to speak in public. But clearly... Um, that's not what was happening. Women were holding leadership roles in the early church. So that kind of isn't really working. But let me, let me tell you why. Let, let's look at what was happening in Corinth or Ephesus or some of these other places. A lot of the women that were coming to Christianity were coming to Christianity from paganism. Okay. So first thing, what we have a problem with is what women did in pagan culture during their rituals is they would chant, moan, wail and make a lot of noise and the women were doing this in the church oh it's starting to make sense now what do you think any church leader anywhere is going to say if women are chanting and wailing and moaning about when they're preaching and it's the women doing it because that's what the women did in their pagan rituals 
So Paul isn't saying all women, all time, everywhere, shut up in church. That's not what he's saying. These women were chanting and carrying on. He's like, settle down. That was the word he used. Settle down. Be quiet. We We don't do that in our churches. We don't wail and moan and carry on. Okay? When he's telling them, be subordinate, they're using really strong terms here. But in reality, all Paul is saying, you know what? You guys need to be quiet. I'm not. And the other thing is permitting them to speak or teach. And it says, I believe, teach in 1 Timothy. It's saying not permitting them to speak in 1 Corinthians. Another thing, they're coming from paganism. Do you know what these women were doing? They were teaching a lot of pagan rituals and a lot of pagan ideas to people. Do you think that Paul wants paganism getting intertwined with Christianity? No. So these women, these women that were wailing and carrying on that he's talking about, telling them to be silent, he's also telling them that they're not permitted to speak because these are the same women that are teaching paganism and kind of bringing in their pagan culture into the church. So when we look at this in its cultural context, this has nothing to do with women today. This was for these women in this church at this time who are doing these things. And here again, we have men arrogantly misusing scripture and weaponizing it against women. This is not an appropriate interpretation of scripture. But the other problem is that most English translations of the Bible leave out the most important part of this verse. When we read in the RSV, we see what Paul actually meant here. So he's saying, it's saying, I do, you know, I do not permit women to speak or teach in the church or whatever, right? Well, the part they leave out is where Paul says, what? With an exclamation point. So right after it says, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate. That's the sentence that we get, okay? Right after that, this part it leaves out, it says, what? With an exclamation point. Then it says, did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Paul is actually writing this section of his letter to the Corinthians to condemn what they are doing. So we have in some instances this comment of women being silent because of the pagan culture. But we also have here where women being silent was required by Roman law. So either way you want to look at this, whether you're looking at it as him telling these pagan women to stop wailing and caring about during church service, but then we have this exasperated comment of, did the word of God originate with you? Just basically saying, telling women they have to be subordinate and they're not allowed to teach in church. He's saying, basically he's saying that's Roman culture. Did the word of God originate with you? Do you get to decide? Do you get to decide that women don't get to teach? Paul is telling them this is not scripture to tell women they can't teach. This is Roman culture and stop doing it. Huh. Very interesting. Okay. 
And it's important to note here that there's another interpretive option for these verses as well. Um, so we, we've, got, we've got him kind of pulling Roman culture out by saying, are you making up the word of God telling women that they can't teach? And we've also got this early paganism rituals where women are chanting and moaning and wailing and carrying on. We have both of these going on. So this has nothing to do with women not speaking or preaching in church. No matter how you look at it, whether you want to look at the cultural aspects of the women chanting and moaning and wailing, or you want to look at them saying women are not allowed to teach and women are not allowed to do these things, and then we get the actual part that they took out where he's questioning them not allowing women to talk in church. So either way you look at it, it's not about... Um, women not being able to speak in the church. So again, we have 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 6, and we see another situation where Paul is addressing the infiltration of the church with Roman culture. The man is the head of the woman. The woman's required to cover her head when praying. Well, under Roman law, an unmarried woman was required to cover her head. And this chapter, again, is a juxtaposition. So... He's taking Roman culture that has infiltrated the church and then he flips it on its head and states the way Christians should actually be living. So when he says, wives, submit to your husbands, and then he's like, no, husbands, submit to your wives, love your wife as you love yourself, that kind of a thing. It's flipping it on its head. It's saying, yeah, wives, you do need to be respectful and all of that to your husband, but also husbands, we're flipping this on its head. Well, we're going to do that again. So in verse 8, there's a lot of contradictory statements here, and that's where people get into a lot of trouble. The man does not originate from the woman, but the woman from the man. Uh, doesn't make any sense, right? Men don't give birth. like they. Meh. This is talking about Genesis. It doesn't make any sense any other, in any other way. So you can listen to episode 1 on Adam and Eve if you, if you want to know that. And also, the word sila does not mean rib. I just want to make that clear. It means entire side. Um, that's a really cool story about the original Hebrew meaning of it. Very beautiful if you want to listen to that. But then we go to verse 12 where it says, the woman originated from the man. Also, the man has his birth through the woman. So we've got a juxtaposition here, right? Because it's saying, you know, they were, Adam was created and Eve was taken from his side. And it, it is side, it is not rib. Let's be very clear about that. So do you see how this stands in opposition? The woman originated from the man, so also the man has his birth through the women, right? Neither is the woman independent of the man, nor is the man independent of the woman. So we're getting these juxtapositions of like, um, th this also indicates an equality of, Neither should be independent. When we talk about becoming one, right? Becoming one, we are not independent of each other. So then he goes on in verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? But then, he, which would be under Roman law. But then in verse 15, he juxtaposes this juxtaposition of this where he says, a woman's long hair is a covering and a glory to her. So you see how Paul is constantly rooting out this Roman law and Roman culture from the church. 
Women are allowed to pray in church without their heads covered. Stop infiltrating the church with oppressive Roman practices, is what he's saying. Is it proper for her to do that? Because in Roman law, no. And he's saying no. Her hair is covering enough. It's very simple. Okay? What about 1 Timothy chapter 2? Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach. So we go, oh, okay. This is very strongly worded. When this states that God created man first, therefore he has the authority, by this argument, guess what? Animals should actually have authority over humans because they were created before Adam. So if you want to talk about who got created first and who should have power over and authority over who, well, then the animals should have power and authority over us because they were created before we were. That's just, that's just a dumb argument. Um, and actually, that's not technically true. And if you want to figure out why, go listen to the Adam and Eve uh, episode. But Paul was addressing a particular problem specific to the church in Ephesus at this time in which false teaching was resulting in inappropriate behavior. That's what he's talking about. So we talked about this a little bit before, but Paul was not giving a universal order to all women of all time not to teach or have authority over a man. And why? Because there were plenty of women deacons and other women authority figures at the time. So that just doesn't make any sense. But he was ordering that women do not assume superiority over men or promote false teachings. Women should learn first, being educated in the faith before they teach. And I want to be very clear about this word authority. This, we think of the word authority in our English context, in our cultural context. The problem is the Greek word that was used here was actually a really rare Greek word, not used very often. It's, it didn't mean just authority like, I'm your boss, I have authority over you. That, that's not what this word means. It wasn't that common of a word. It was actually rare. Um, the word for authority here is very unique, and it's a lot stronger than I'm in charge or I have authority, okay? It means to overpower. Not just have authority, it means to overpower. And another aspect that they fail to tell you is that in Greek, this word kind of has sexual overtones to it. Now we start to see what's going on here. Why would Paul use a word that means overpower men with sexual overtones? See, the men that are interpreting this are not going to tell you this. They just, oh, no, we have authority over you. You just shut up, sit down, and listen to us. We have all the power. We don't, want, we don't need your voices. We don't need to hear you. You don't get to speak in church, right? Men love this. Their, their egos are 10 times their size now. Why would Paul say, use a word that means to overpower men with sexual overtones? This isn't authority. This is very different. Well, in it, let's put it in its cultural context here, okay? Pagan women who converted to Christianity, we talked about this before, they were dressing in see-through clothing. This is why you also see uh, the women being admonished to be modest. They were dressing in see-through clothing and seducing men. This is a bit of a problem in the Christian church. Now, do you see what Paul is saying? Very different than what you were taught in church, huh? Paul's comment about women not having authority over men has nothing to do with leadership roles. It has to do with women dressing in see-through clothing, seducing men, and trying to overpower them sexually. Completely different. This is an example of how 
translators are using um, how they're translating things and it makes it appear that women are not supposed to have leadership roles in the church and makes it appear this way. And I've, we've talked about before how translators use different English words with men versus women, even when it was the same Greek word, right? So I'm going to give you another example in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. Men are exhorted to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Settle down. The exact same word that they translated as settle down in Thessalonians was translated as be silent in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, when it refers to women. Why? You translate it as settle down when you're talking to men and be silent when you're talking to women? It's ridiculous. When we, when we take the way that Christ treated women and compare it to the way modern Christians try to interpret Paul, it stands in direct opposition to Christ's actions and teachings. Women were, it was a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, who would have been absolutely avoided and despised by Jews. And Christ goes, and she is the first person that Christ declares publicly that he is the Messiah to. Christ allows a woman to anoint him, the king, to anoint the king. Christ allows Mary to sit at his feet, the same as a male disciple would to a rabbi. Christ appears first to women as a resurrected being and tells them to go and, and teach it and tell it to the apostles. So if the way that you are interpreting the Bible stands in opposition to that, we have a problem. Christ taught that the greatest will be servant to all. So if you are not behaving in that manner and interpreting the Bible in that manner, you're doing it wrong. Okay? It was wealthy women who funded Christ's ministry. In Mark 14, verse 50, his disciples and apostles fled and left him, but the women disciples did not. The females, the women, were witnesses. They were the ones who witnessed and proclaimed Christ's resurrection. Christ never once placed women in a lower station than men ever. In fact, he elevated women. The Samaritan woman, the woman with an issue of blood, he elevated them all. He never set up hierarchies throughout his ministry. And if our interpretation of any scripture devalues women in any way, it goes against everything that Christ showed us through his example. So I hope that this kind of helps you understand what has happened in Christianity and why women have been subjugated and told to be submissive and banned from leadership roles and being able to speak and use their spiritual gifts in the church. It is not because of God. It is because of male pride. And it isn't that the Bible is wrong. It isn't that, you know, what Paul was teaching is wrong. Not at all. What it is, is that humans have interpreted based on their cultural understanding in their time, they have interpreted it and weaponized it against other people. And we haven't talked about the slavery issues, which Paul absolutely never once was condoning that in any way. It, 
humans make messes out of things. I'm sorry, they do. And they take scriptures out of context and try to justify sin using scripture. It has happened throughout time and it continues to happen today and it needs to stop. And I wish that we could go into and just deep dive into every single scripture, but we're pushing an hour here. Um, so as you can see, I am not lying in any way when I tell you this could take days to unpack all of this and explain to you why um, God never meant for women to be subjected to men or banned from uh, leadership roles in the church. That was never, ever, ever the case. God does not, he's no respecter of persons. We know this, right? God is no respecter of persons, which means he does not value men over women. He does not place men over women. That All of these authority and power structures, they are a result of the fall. So hopefully that helps you understand. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Again, like I said, if you enjoyed this, please click the link. Give a little bit of a donation to help me continue with these podcasts. I've really enjoyed going through this with you. If you have any questions, please let me know. I love talking about this as something near and dear to my heart. Um, and hopefully it helped some of you understand better how God sees you and how amazing and wonderful and gifted you are. And whatever call God has placed in your life, even if that is to be a pastor or any of those kinds of things, use your voice. God has given you a voice for a reason. God wants you to speak truth and to use your gifts, not only in your home, but everywhere in the church to further God's glory. And um, I love speaking with you. I hope you enjoyed this and I will see you next time.